The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. If you would, turn to Psalm 23. That's where we're going to be this morning. Turn to Psalm 23. If you don't have a Bible, there should be some under the chairs for you. You can take that with you. That's our gift to you. If you want to use your cell phone, smart tablet thing, whatever, you can do that as well. We'll think you're uh, texting and we will judge you, but that's all right. Go ahead and, uh, and use it anyway. Can I pray for us real quick? Is that cool? Can I pray for us? What are you going to do? i got a mic. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for our time together this morning. I pray that you would quiet us, um, that, Lord, all of the distractions of what we left this morning and what we're going back to this afternoon and, and what this week has for us, um, Lord, there's some of us who are overwhelmed at the thought of what we have to face, even just tomorrow morning. Would you calm us? Would we be able to rest? It seems an appropriate prayer to pray as we look at this psalm, which is all about rest. So Lord, help us rest this morning. Speak clearly. They're your weakest of vessels. Speak clearly. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Psalm 23, Psalm 23. So last week we started talking about Psalm 23. We went through the first part. And, and if you look at verse 1 there, all right, are you there? Look at verse 1. In verse 1 it says, Lord is my shepherd, what? I shall not want, right? That doesn't mean we don't want things. It means that I, there's nothing else that I need that the Lord doesn't give me, all right? If the shepherd doesn't give it to me, I don't need it, all right? There's nothing out there that, that, that I'm going to need. There's nothing out there that's going uh, to provide for me that I'm not going to have if the shepherd doesn't give it to me. In fact, there's nobody else out there I need mainly other than him, all right? It, he's the one that I need. I shall not want. And the rest of the psalm supports that first line. We spent a lot of time last week actually talking about that first verse, and that's the reason. It's the foundation for the rest of the psalm. If you don't get that, you're not going to get the rest of the psalm, because that's what he's writing. He writes, I shall not want, and then he tells us why. He gives us reasons why we shall not want in the Lord. And last week we talked about the first half of, that, of this psalm, which is talking about the Lord is our shepherd. And so, check this out, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Remember last week we talked about there's always rest with God. There's always a green pasture waiting for you. No matter what you're going through, there's always a green pasture. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Remember, Jesus didn't say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'm going to, once it's over, once you're done laboring, once, once that burden's off of you, I'll give you rest. He says, no, 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 right in the middle of your difficulty. Right in the middle of your labor, right in the middle of, of that heavy burden you're carrying, you come to me and I'll give you rest now. There's always a green pasture waiting with our shepherd. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul. So the purpose of rest is to restore your strength. It's not to remove calamity. It's not to remove difficulty so as to weaken character. Instead, it's what? It's to restore strength and power so that you will be able to endure. Jesus said also in John 10 that you come to me and you'll find 
find rest for your souls. I will strengthen you, all right? So he leads me, look at verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You can always trust where the shepherd's leading you. He's leading you to good places. That's righteous places, right? And his wisdom always serves what? It always serves his glory, and it always serves our joy. So you know where he's leading, even in the most difficult commands it may be to follow. It's always leading to a place of joy for us. Fourth, look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So we see that sometimes your circumstances are difficult as you follow the shepherd. Uh, but the following the path of righteousness, it's not a circumstance. It's not a location. It's a choice we can make. And so he says, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. God's presence is always with me. He promises his presence. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So God comforts us through his protection and his guidance as we follow him. So this week, the psalmist changes metaphors, all right? So he goes from the metaphor of God as our shepherd to now God as our host, all right? But the purpose of the psalm doesn't change. The purpose of the psalm, again, is to say, I shall not want. I can trust in God always because here, right? So it doesn't change. This is We're going to see him using this metaphor as God as host to further illustrate why we shall always have our needs met. So today, we're going to look at six observations about God as our host that's going to further deepen our trust in Him. Now, listen, normally... You have uh, uh, notes, uh, like I'll put them in your chairs or whatever. Some of you, if you don't notice them, you've probably been sitting on them. But we put these notes out there that have like the six points or whatever. Um, but I was really, running really late this morning, so they didn't get done. So uh, if you if you want to take notes, you want to do it in your phone, or if you got a scrap sheet of paper or whatever, go ahead and list out one, two, three, four, five, six, all right? And then uh, you can follow along there. So number one, here we go. The, the first reason, the first observation about God is our host out of Psalm 23. Our host is supremely hospitable. Hospitable. Look at verse 5 through 6. Let's go ahead and read these next two verses, these final two verses before we talk about them. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, so number one, our host is supremely hospitable. Now, hospitable means to be incredibly generous and friendly to guests or visitors. When I say hospitable, who do you think of? Who comes to mind? Surely somebody pops in your head. Anybody? Is it your mom? give you a hint. If your mom is here, raise your hand. All right. But is it your mom, right? Is it your spouse? Is it, is it a friend? Is it a family member? What comes to your mind when you think of someone who's hospitable? My, the person who comes to my mind uh, is not only my mother, who absolutely comes to mind, uh, but also my wife. I think my wife is an incredibly gracious host. All right. And my wife, uh, she was not uh, born in the South, uh, but that's all right because the Lord saved her and she moved here. And uh, she really has learned this secret to Southern hospitality. And the secret to Southern hospitality is making your guests feel like they're home, even if you wish they were, all right? And that's Southern hospitality, and she's got it down. She prepares for our guests. If someone comes over to our house, she goes into not just like cleaning mode, but like deep cleaning mode, all right? Like she just, she doesn't just pick everything up. She starts like throwing stuff away and replacing it, all right? Like that's her deal. You ever hung a rug up outside to beat the dust out of it, right? She hangs up our cat, all right? You get what I'm saying? 
saying like she gets the dust out, all right? She prepares. Not only does she prepare, but she prepares in abundance for our guests. You know, when, when she makes a meal at, at home, right, she, she does a good job, and I, I think she makes more than we need, but if someone's coming, she makes enough food just in case the zombie apocalypse happens, we'll be able to hunker down in that house and survive for two years, all right? Like, she makes an abundance for our guests. She doesn't want them to be without. She also, she isn't aloof, all right? She's very personal. She's available even while she's serving. Have you ever been to a a dinner or a party or something and you never see the host? They just kind of, they're in and they're out because they're always doing something. They're always working. I know for me, like growing up, that's my mom. To this day, I don't know if I've ever seen her eat an entire meal she's prepared, all right? Like she prepares the meal for us and then we sit down and eat it and she's constantly going back and forth between the kitchen and the table getting us more things, which come to think of it now raises some questions. What was she putting in the meal that she wasn't willing to eat herself? I don't know, something to think about. But just as my wife models hospitality, in Psalm 23, this host is supremely hospitable toward us. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me. Prepare suggests foresight and care. If someone invited you to their home for dinner and you showed up and you get to the, you get to the door and they, they let you in and it is just gross, right? Like it's not, there's nothing vacuum. There's, there's laundry half folded on the couch, right? And, 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 and they say, Hey, oh yeah, you want to eat? Uh, what do you want to eat? You want to order pizza? Or I've got, I've got a Lunchable. Like, what do you, what do you want to do here? How, how do you want to handle this? How would you feel? Would you feel like, like they, they really just thought about your needs? Would you feel like they really cared about you? No, not at all, right? Some of you, if you had to be honest, you'd say, well, I'd feel right at home. But uh, really, what's that, what's that saying to you? They don't care. They didn't think about you. They didn't prepare for you, right? And this says that the Lord prepares the table for us, which means he cares for you enough to make plans for you. And not only that, but he knows what your needs are. If he's preparing for your needs, then he must know exactly what they are. And I think a scripture that illustrates it happens to be one of my favorite scriptures. And it's, it's Proverbs 16, 9. I think whenever someone comes and talks to me about a major life decision, or, or even not a major life decision, just different things going on in their lives, I must give them this verse over and over and over again. Proverbs 16, 9, here's what it says. The heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. This is my, uh, I call this my, my dummy prayer, right? Because I'm a dummy and I don't always know what to pray. And so if I have like two different ways to go, Lord, I don't know exactly what to do about this. You know what? This option seems good. I, I can see how you'd be honored here. This option seems good. I think you would be honored here, right? What I do is, is I go, okay, I'm going to pick this one and I'm going to go this way, Lord. So, so I'm going to make my plan this way because I think it honors you. But if it's not, establish my steps, right? Like, close this down and bring me this direction. And he's done that over and over and over again, right? It shows that he cares enough to make plans for you. It says, I'm, I'm guiding your steps. I'm establishing your steps. What does that mean? He says, I, I'm guiding you to a place. I'm not just establishing your steps willy-nilly. I have a plan for you. Not only does it show us that he has a plan for you, but it also shows us that he knows our needs better than what we do, right? He knows what we need better than what we do. It says that, that in, the, in a man's heart, what? He makes his plans, right? But it says that the Lord establishes his steps, meaning that even if you're going the wrong way, even if you're going a place you think you need this, you think you need to go this way, the Lord knows your needs so well that he'll establish your steps and he'll bring you another way if he needs to, right? So not only does he prepare for us, but he knows our needs. Our host is thoughtful 
in caring and preparing what we need. The table suggests abundance, right? You know what I hate uh, about being a dad? I love being a dad. You know what I hate? When I can't give my kids what they want, I hate that. I absolutely hate that. And, and I mean like, I, I'm, I'm going to be real trivial, all right? I, I mean this in the, in, the most, in the most trivial way possible. I mean like when you bring your kid to Toys R Us, you know, and you're just in that, you're just in that mood and you're like, you know what? I won't eat lunch tomorrow. Let's go buy a toy, right? And you're just, you're just feeling real generous and you get in there and, and, and they, they pick out a toy and they're, they're just overjoyed about this toy. And then you see the price tag and immediately you're praying Psalm 23, right? You know what I mean? And you're just all upset and you're like, I'm sorry, son. Like, that's too expensive. I think my son learned that phrase, too expensive, super early on. He actually said it in the car today. He said, he actually said on the way here, Dad, we need to get more money. And I said, okay, son, I agree with you. Why? And he said, to buy expensive toys. And I was like, all right, well, we can do that. And so, like, so I, I it, but it, it, it guts me to have to say to him, I'm sorry, son, that's, that's too expensive. Like, do you, uh, you want a pencil, right? Like, I, I hate not being able to give him what he wants. But you know what's even worse? You know what bothers me even more? Not being able to provide my kids with what they need. Now, the Lord is incredibly gracious and incredibly kind, and um, rarely have I been in a place where I feel like I haven't been able to give my kids what they need, but I've been there before. I remember one time our, our son got the, uh, the, the chicken pox vaccine, and it's like one in every like six billion kids uh, actually develops chicken pox from the chicken pox vaccine. Guess whose kid actually developed chicken pox from the chicken pox? And it was my kid. And, and I remember how pitiful he was. And, and I remember sitting there and, and he just, he would literally just sit there and he would just like do this just all day. And I, all I wanted to give him was what he needed. He needed relief, right? He didn't want to feel itchy anymore. He didn't want to feel upset. He didn't want to have that fever. But I, I was helpless. I couldn't do anything about that. I remember bringing my daughter to Bonner over and over and over again because of her, her breathing issues. And what she needed was her breath. And daddy couldn't give it to her. As much as I wanted to, daddy couldn't meet that need. I was helpless. But what this tells us of our host is not only will he provide what we need, but he provides it in abundance because our host is never helpless never helpless. Check this out, Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Look at this, it says, he prepares the table before me, suggests a personal connection and intimacy. I wanna confess a struggle of mine as a kid growing up in church. Um, you know, I, I'd always heard that God meets our needs. I'd always heard that, that God has a plan for me, but I, I, I had this strange thought that accompanied it. I thought that, you know what? He sounds really important. He sounds really busy. Surely he doesn't have time for me right? Maybe he'll take my call every now and then, you know, hey God, I really need this, I really need that. Sure, maybe he'll, he'll, play, he'll, he'll fulfill my order one day, right? He'll say, oh, I got this in, yeah, we'll send that on to Grant, but he didn't have time for me, right? It's not a personal thing here, but this psalm says that our host prepares the table before us. He isn't working behind the scenes, separated from us. He's working in front of us and with us. John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
our host prepares for us is des- uh, whatever he prepares for us is designed not just for our compliance but it's designed for our connection with him imagine you are a world-class chef all right are you there i am already i'm very good but imagine you are a world-class chef and you had a restaurant and there's someone that that you were in love with right and you said you know what i'm going to bring them here and i'm going to prepare a meal for them so you you, you told them meet me at the restaurant at seven o'clock they get there the host is ready the, the host says come on in well i've got a table for you and, and and you stay in the back you're the chef you stay in the back you prepare this incredible meal you hand it to a waiter you send it out to the person that you love right and they are just full and you keep sending food that you're making and it's so good but it's it's more than they can handle it's an abundance of food and so finally they're full and they just can't take it anymore and so you stay in the back and you send word to the waiter to that person you know what the chef is taking care of it you don't have to pay for this meal you're good you can go home now what does that communicate what does that accomplish that meal you gave them you met their needs abundantly but what about your what about your relationship what about your connection there was no intimacy there and so think about what you probably would do if you were a chef and you owned a, a really famous restaurant. You would invite that person in. Maybe it would be after the restaurant closed. And it's just you and that person and you invite them back to the kitchen and you prepare for them a meal right in front of them and you're talking and you're communicating and you eat that meal together, right? What, are they still full? Absolutely, their needs are met abundantly. But what about that, that connection? That connection is accomplished. The main thing that's accomplished that night is not the meal, right? It's that connection with that person. In the same way, our host isn't some cosmic chef hidden behind some door just keeping us fed, just making meals for us. Instead, he's the lover of our souls who meets our needs, not to serve as a way to mainly fill our stomachs, but to mainly connect us with himself. So number one, I shall not want because our host is supremely hospitable. Number two, I shall not want because our host is supremely powerful. Supremely powerful. Look at verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So here's a quick observation. Our host caring thoughtfulness and provision and intimacy, it doesn't remove our enemies. Check it out. The table's right in front of them. The enemies are still there. So what's the significance of the table being right there in the middle of the enemies? I've had uh, uh, several friends of mine who have gone and served in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I remember having a conversation with a, a friend of mine who was in Afghanistan and he was talking about being out on patrol, and, and he's talking about, you know, the constantly having his head on a swivel, just constantly looking out for what's going on around him. And, and I said, hey, man, how do you eat? Like, what do you eat and how do you eat? And he says they have something called MREs, uh, which apparently stands for Meals Ready to Eat, all right? And uh, I didn't know that. I had to look it up. Uh, but anyway, I gave him meals. Uh, they're, apparently, they're just meals in a bag um, that he says taste like uh, death. So anyway, but they have these MREs, which will keep them going. And I said, so, like, what do you do? Like, you're, you're constantly just like trying not to get shot at what do you do and he's like well we take turns right and so if you if you're eating uh then then someone else is on watch or everybody else is on watch and, and they would take turn and, and they wouldn't eat together they'd eat like one at a time right and so they're always they're always on guard why because they're out there when they're out there they're at the mercy of the enemy right the enemy starts shooting, they're at the, the mercy of that enemy, right? They can't just, they can't just relax, they can't just rest, because they're at the mercy of the enemy. But the scripture says that our table is prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. What does that mean for us? It means this, we can be at peace, we can rest with God, because our enemies are at his mercy. They're at his mercy. Check this out. Apparently the enemies are there. 
They can see us, but they can't do anything about it. It's prepared in their presence. It implies that they're there, and yet they are powerless because of the hosts. And who are our enemies? Well, we've got three main ones that are always there hanging around. One is our, is our flesh. Two is the world. Three is the devil. So our flesh, that's the old part of us that follows itself. Doesn't I don't care what God has to say. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And we all still have that. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. He says that there's a, there's a power that's at work within him that's waging a war within him, right? He's saying the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. We can all relate to that, right? That's always in us. It's always working uh, against us. We've got the world. That's the part of our culture that ignores the wisdom of God. And, and James 4.4 4 tells us that if you're a friend of the world, then you're, a, you're an enemy of God. Why? Because the world doesn't listen to the wisdom of God. The, the devil, of course, 1 Peter 5.8 says that he's the enemy and your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So if we can be at rest, if we can, if we can be at peace because our enemy is at the mercy of our host, and does that mean I don't have to like like watch out for them anymore? Does that mean I can just, I don't have to care about where they are or what's going on with them? Absolutely not. First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober-minded and be watchful. So what does that mean? Here's, here's what it means then. If it doesn't mean completely let your guard down, here's what it means. There's no reason, there's no reason for fear uh, to, to, to be afraid and to be unable to rest with God, just like my friends are eating those MREs out there, right? Always, never at rest, right? There's no reason for you to fear and unable to rest and, and trust in God because our enemies are at his mercy. That's what it means. You can always rest with the Lord. You can always find peace with the Lord, even in the presence of your enemies because they're at the mercy of God. And, and so let me prove it. Let me prove it to you. Think about our flesh constantly drums up temptations, doesn't it? It's always working in us to drum up more temptations. When I was in Walmart the other night, um, which was my first mistake, I went in there and, uh, and, and I walked up to the register and I didn't see another register open, you know, and they've got like long lines of registers. I didn't see another one open. I walked right up to it and she flips her light off. You ever done that, right? Someone just flipped you off at Walmart? Anyway, so they, they flip the light off. I'm standing right there. There's no one else. It's just me. And I walk up and she's like, oh, and turns the light off. And I was like, oh, your light went out. Here's my belongings, right? And she said, well, I'm closed. And I was like, oh, okay, that's problematic because I don't see another register open. And she was like, well, I'm closed. And I said, I understand that. And I want you to get your break. I don't, is there another register open? I'll go to another register. Is there another register open? And she goes, uh, I'm closed. And then I realized her brain was broken, right? And so like, she was just kind of stuck on repeat there. And so what my flesh was saying was like, let her have it, right? My flesh was saying, take, take your cart full of your items and your goods and, and just push it into the nearest stand you've got, all right? And just tell them, clean up on aisle everything and leave, right? Like, just do something like that. But, but you know, like, I know that's not loving. I know that's not patient. I know that's not kind. So why does that thought there? Because the old Grant's still there, right? That old flesh is still there. That enemy is always warring within me. But... I don't have to fear, I don't be afraid of it because the flesh is at God's mercy. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation. So the, the temptations at the mercy of God, he will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. Isn't that incredible? So, so it's not that he's gonna remove that enemy, but that enemy is at his mercy. You can overcome that enemy. Secondly, our world is broken, so we're at the mercy of broken circumstances. Have you ever worked really, really hard 
just to be fired? Or, or have you ever, you know, you, you don't drink or chew or go with girls that do, right? And yet you still, like, get cancer, right? Has that ever happened, right? Or, or, or you've been faithful friend, you've been an incredibly faithful friend just so that friend can stab you in the back. You don't need to fear these circumstances because they're completely at God's mercy. Check out Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God doesn't always remove the difficulty, but ultimately the difficulty can serve our joy. He doesn't give us something or he doesn't allow something to to happen in our lives that he can't use for his glory and for our joy. My plan as a father was to never take my daughter to Labonner over and over and over again and to deal with her, her breathing issues and some other things in her life. However, that experience, trusting the Lord in that experience, it's grown my faith, it's strengthened my family, and it's given me an opportunity to minister to other people who are dealing with the same difficulties. God never wastes our suffering because suffering is always at the mercy of God. Thirdly, the devil, he seeks to steal our focus and kill our joy. John 10.10 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can distract you with, the, with temptations, if he can distract you with circumstances and take your focus off of the Lord, what happens to your joy? It just starts to dry up. And we've all been there. And that was the strategy the enemy used against the Apostle Paul. He had him shipwrecked, snake-bitten, beaten, stoned by people. They beat him one time, one time so bad they thought he was dead. That's the only reason they stopped hitting him. They threw him out of the city because they were like, he's dead, right? But he wasn't. Uh, and, and Paul believed that the devil himself was at the mercy of God. So he never lost focus. And he always looked at the Lord. And his joy was always complete. Philippians 4, he says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all these things through him who strengthens me, right? So his joy was complete. So second, I shall not want because of our, our host is supremely powerful. Thirdly, I shall not want because our host shows supreme favor. Our host shows supreme favor. Look at verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Anybody been to a dinner party lately and the host anointed your head with oil? Really? You guys don't go to a lot of parties? Right? Okay, well, let me explain. In, in the Old Testament, this was, a, this was a, a customary treatment for honored guests. In fact, we have uh, illustrations on Egyptian monuments of, of hosts anointing their guests with oil, right? And this was an anointed face was a sign of, of joy, and it was a sign of favor. But not being anointed was a sign of displeasure, disrespect. And that's why in Luke seven forty six, Jesus is eating at a, a Pharisee's house, and, and a woman comes in and, and anoints him with ointment, and, and they flip out. And Jesus says to him, check this out, you did not anoint my head with with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. So Jesus wasn't an honored guest of this of the Pharisee. He didn't anoint Jesus. He didn't show him favor, right? But this psalm says God anoints our heads with oil. So God sees us as honored guests, which means we have the favor of God. A few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on, on favor, the, two di- the differences between positional favor and uh, an experiential favor. And if, if you want to go back and listen to that, it's on our website. Or if you want to go to iTunes, some of you are like, I have to do this once a week. I'm not going to do it twice a week. All right. So uh, if you want to go back, you can listen to it. But the type of favor this is referring to is positional favor. And positional favor is our right standing before God. This favor is completely unchanged because it's based completely in Christ's finished work on the cross and not in what I've done or who I am. Second Corinthians 6, 2 says, in the time of my favor, I heard you and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So if you're saved, if you're following God now, then you have his favor and he's pleased with you. Why? 
Because of what you've done? Absolutely not. But because you are his child. Galatians 3.26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So because you are his child through faith, God is forever pleased with you. And will always show you the riches of his grace. Let me illustrate it with this way. I I love my kids, right? And I love my kids not because of what they've done. Because they don't do a lot, all right? Like they don't do a lot for me. I don't love them for what they've done or who they will be one day. I have no idea who they will be one day. I love them because they're my kids. And nothing can change that fact, right? Like my oldest in the middle of the night, like 3 a.m., he always ends up in our bed. And for some reason, he always sleeps on my side. And he turns into like Mr. Fantastic and can stretch up and take an entire queen mattress up with his little three-year-old body. I don't know how he does it. My, my twins reenact WrestleMania constantly. My youngest is like three weeks old now. I don't know. He's little, right? And, uh, and he just poops. That's all they do, right? That's all they do. But it doesn't matter. They have my positional favor because they're my kids. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter what they can do. It matters who I am. And I'm their father, and they will forever have my favor as my kids. It's the same way with God. We have his favor as children, so we get to experience his, the joy of that favor. We get to experience his loving kindness and his provision just because we're his kids and just because he's our dad, period. So thirdly, I shall not want because our host shows supreme favor. Fourthly, I shall not want because our host is supremely generous. Look at verse 5 again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What does God fill our cup or our lives with? What is it that he's filling up that's overflowing? Well, I think it's joy. John 15, Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made Full. So following God's wisdom, eating what he's prepared for us results in such an experience and understanding of God's, love, of God's love and goodness and kindness that our joy will be filled up. And how do we typically miss this gift? This is a gift our host constantly tries to give us is to fill our joy. How do we miss this gift? How do we typically reject this gift of joy? And I think it's simple. I think, I think we, we suffer from next aisle syndrome. Anybody ever heard of that? Next aisle syndrome? Typically it just... Uh, Uh, strikes children who are like three years old and happen to be my kid. Um, But basically it shows up, I'll give you an example, it shows up like when you go to a store, you go to Toys R Us or whatever, and you pick out a toy and you're like, yep, that's the one we're going to get. And there's all this joy and they're so excited and they can't believe you. Dad, you're the best. You're the absolute best. I can't believe I have this toy. It's fantastic. And then they go to the next aisle, right? And all of a sudden, I don't care about this toy, Dad. You never give me anything, right? Like you're the worst. I need this, right? It's that next aisle syndrome. What is it? It's, it's never being satisfied. It's never having true joy. And, and why? Well, I think, I think 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 holds the key to letting God fill our joy. And here it is. And, and reject that next aisle disorder. Here it is. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Constantly thank the Lord for his goodness and his love. You know, Tuesday nights, we have prayer meeting here at 6 o'clock. And one of the things we do is we have a personal time of prayer. And part of that personal time of prayer is, is a time of thanksgiving, right? And, and right after that, it's a time of supplication or, or bringing your request before the Lord. And I tell you, when, when I start doing the thanksgiving part, and, 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 and we have to spend, you know, like, it's, it's probably, I don't know, five to seven minutes of just you're by yourself and you're just thanking the Lord, right? And, and, and I have to write down things. Like, I have to make notes while I pray because otherwise I'm just like squirrel, right? Like, I'm just, like get lost. So, so I'm like writing stuff down. And, and I start writing it down and I start filling like the 
this pad up and with all the stuff I'm thankful for. And I'm like, oh, I didn't think about that either. Well, thanks for that. Okay, this is good. This is good. Then all of a sudden, like what I need or what I think I need, that list like shrinks to almost nothing, right? Why? Because I'm thankful. And because I'm thankful, my, my cup is overflowing. I realize my cup is overflowing and, and, and my joy is overflowing and it's filled up. So let's accept the gift of our host and be thankful so that we can be joyful. But the psalm doesn't say my cup is full. What does it say? My cup overflows. I want to read you a, a quote from uh, Joni, uh, or Johnny Erickson Tata in her book, Glorious Intruder. She wrote about this. She said, when something overflows, we usually think of waste. Water that overflows a dam rushes out to sea. Gas that overflows a tank pollutes the ground. Coffee that overflows a cup stains the carpet. Milk that overflows a measuring cup drains down the sink. Most folk tend to equate overflow with waste or squandered resources. But what about a life that overflows? What about a man or a woman who brims over with the joy and grace and love of God? Is it all down the drain? God doesn't intend your life to overflow down the storm drain or evaporate into the air. He wants it to soak others. The spillover of his love and goodness in our lives is to benefit and encourage those around us. So don't just count your blessings in your thankfulness, but extend your blessings to others. One of my favorite verses to share with people when they're going through some sort of difficulty is 2 Corinthians 1. Check this out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. You say, well, that's why you share it, because he's the God of all comfort. Yeah, but check out this next verse who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So I get to say to them, not only is God comforting you, but he's not wasting this opportunity. He's not wasting this suffering. He's going to comfort you so that you'll be able to comfort other people with the same comfort that you have. In other words, God is filling up our joy when we are satisfied in him and our joy is overflowing. It's not just to terminate on ourselves and to sit there and go, that feels really good and nice and warm. Instead, it's for us to extend to other people, right? It's for us to extend his love and his kindness and his grace to other people. So our host is supremely generous. Fifthly, I shall not want because our host is supremely faithful. Look at verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. My host is supremely powerful, so I don't have to worry about my enemies pursuing me and overtaking me. I used to. I used to worry about my enemies pursuing me and overtaking me. But now it says I'm followed by God's goodness and his mercy. And follow in our culture, it implies uh, that you might not catch them, right? You can follow somebody or something and not actually ever get there. But, but that's not what we see here in the Hebrew. The follow in Hebrew, it, it implies a pursuit. And when you pursue something, what do you do? I'm not giving up till I catch it, right? I'm going to get there. Think about it. Like if you got pulled over today on your way home uh, and, uh, and, and all of a sudden the, the police officer starts to walk up and just for some reason, you don't even know why, you're just like, floor it, right? And you just take off, right? Is that cop going to follow you? right? I'm right behind him. I, I don't know. He's going really fast. No, he's going to pursue you. Why? Because he's going to catch you, all right? Like, you are not going to get away from that, right? And so, in the same way, like, I, I think about um, uh, the, the same way about God's goodness and his mercy for us. It's not just following us. It's not just lagging behind uh, lazily or anything like that. It's pursuing us every single day. Lamentations 3 tells us that. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning, 
Great is your faithfulness. So the goodness or, the, or the, the steady and faithful kindness of God and love of God will always be with us, never giving up on us. And you might say, man, look, I've, I've messed up lately. Well, surely the goodness and mercy of God are pursuing. You might say, I've traded trusting God for a lot of fear lately. Yeah, but the, surely the goodness and mercy of God will follow you. You might say, I've, I've never been in a darker place than I am right now. Well, surely the goodness and the mercy of God are pursuing you. And how does the psalmist know? How do we know? that that's true because he's a good shepherd because he's supremely hospitable because he's supremely powerful because he gives us his supreme favor favor because he's supremely generous you can trust that if the sun's going to come up tomorrow then the mercies of God are there waiting for you his goodness and his mercy are pursuing you so tomorrow might be a difficult day you might not be looking forward to it but if the sun comes up then what lamentations tells us is that the mercy of God are new for you waiting for you. So I shall not want because our host is supremely faithful. Lastly, number six, I shall not want because our host is supremely available. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This psalm couldn't end with a more calming promise to hold on to. The house of the Lord, literally the temple of the Lord was where God's presence was, all right? And so, so literally being in the temple of the Lord for worship is to, is to be in the same place as God's presence. It's to, it's to commune with God. It's to have a relationship with God. And so what David's saying here in the psalm, he's saying uh, I'm, I'm going to constantly be in your presence now and forever. So our host is not just a God who provides and, and and, and who isn't available. He's a host who provides and who is abundantly, supremely available to us. Isn't that an incredible promise? Charles Spurgeon was talking about this in a sermon, and he said it this way. While I am here, I'll be a child at home with God. The whole world shall be his house to me. Do you get that? I'll, he'll never be apart from God. And when I ascend into the upper chamber, I shall not change my company. All right, so he's talking about dying. When I ascend into the upper chamber, I shall not change my company nor even change the house. I shall only go to dwell in the upper story of the house of the Lord forever. There's an intimacy of the Lord that's constantly available to his followers. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship. That's relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Our gracious host and good shepherd is always available to us. He's never a dad that's too busy, right? He's never a mom who's not interested. He's never a friend who's, who's just forgetful or a coworker who's too foreign to you to be able to, to understand what you're going through. He's supremely available. So, I shall not want because our host is supremely hospitable. He's supremely powerful. He shows supreme favor. He's supremely generous, supremely faithful, supremely available. Here's how I want us to close today. If you're doing music or whatever, you come on up. Um, I want us to close by reading Psalm 23 together. Um, would you, right where you are, do you just like bow your head? Just, just, just take a moment just to be still and just to be quiet. And I, I, want, I want to read Psalm 23 to you. And, and I hope that, that as you hear it, um, may, maybe some of you want to make that your prayer to the Lord. I just agree with what, with what I'm reading. Maybe some of you as, you, as you hear this, as you hear this psalm, um, it'll be a, a, a drink of cool water in a, in a hot desert. Maybe for some of you it'll be um, a time to really understand uh, some areas where you haven't trusted our host or you haven't trusted our shepherd. 
And so maybe, maybe just reading this psalm will, will lead you to some sort of repentance of, 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 of turning a part of your life um, back to the wisdom of God. You're going to do it his way now. I don't know. But I, I want to I close with, with reading this psalm. And, and you, just, you just listen. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll inspire you to speak to the Lord. Maybe you just want to sit and just, just hear these words. I don't know. But would you just be calm, be still, and listen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your kindness as our shepherd and as our host. There's not a single person uh, alive on your earth uh, who deserves your kindness and your goodness. And yet, you're our shepherd, and yet, you're our host. So God, I'll be honest, as I've read this psalm, one of the things you've, you've uh, been working in me about is areas of my life where I, I don't trust you. I'm, I'm gonna do it my way. And so thank you, Lord, for reminding me how foolish that is, how silly that is. To think that I hold any type of wisdom that trumps the, the wisdom of God, your way leads to joy, always. That's your promise in your scriptures that your way your wisdom leads to joy. So Lord, help me in those areas of my life where I don't trust you, where I, I do things the way I want to do them. Help me starting today to trust your wisdom and to trust that you're working for my joy as I follow your wisdom. And maybe I have brothers and sisters out there who are just like that. Who, Lord, there's an area of their life they, they haven't trusted you. Help them surrender that part of their life. Help them, help them trust you more in that area of their life. Lord, maybe there are some out there who um, they've experienced your, your joy. They've experienced your goodness. Um, but Lord, they haven't extended their blessings to other people. They just let your blessings terminate on themselves. And they've missed the point. And so they're missing your joy in serving others. Mobilize them. Get them active. Get them moving. Put, put on their minds right now somebody or some need that they have to meet, somebody they have to take care of. Out of the abundance of blessings you've given them. And Lord, there might be other people in this room who they don't know you as shepherd, they don't know you as host, because they don't know you. May today be the day they surrender their life to you, where they say, I I'm not going to do it my way anymore. I want to follow this shepherd. I want to follow this host. I want to follow Jesus. Lord, we love you. We ask that as we sing this song and, and respond to what you've done today, um, that there would be a freedom in this room. There would be a courage and a boldness to respond to however you call us to. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.